The Bible says to encourage one another and build one another up. That is why this podcast exists. Welcome to Real Life with Lynn, where you will find stories about applying scripture to life, whether it's over something big, small, or something in the gray area. I hope you will join me on the journey, find some encouragement in Jesus, and share it with someone you know. Hello, and welcome to episode eight of Real Life with Lynn, and I am your host, Lynn. I hope you are having a great day so far, whenever and wherever you are listening to this episode. So the title of this episode is just simply called Questions. And I know that's vague and open-ended, but we are going somewhere, I promise. So here's a question to start this question episode. Have you ever found yourself in a place where you have more questions than answers? Think about this for a minute. If you are a parent or if you have nieces or nephews, you'll know what I'm talking about here. Children go through what is commonly known as the why phase, where their response to everything you say is why, why, why over and over again. They'll just ask why and ask questions. Did you have to teach them that? Or did they just one day wake up and decide, I'm just going to ask why to everything that my mom says, because I'm a child and that's what I do. (laughs) I have a funny feeling you didn't have to teach your children to ask those questions. It's almost as if God created us to ask questions. (laughs) I find that interesting. So in the real world, in real life, people are asking questions. This is how we learn, how we seek out things. And questions are even asked about God or of God. So here's an example of a time in my life when I was asking a lot of questions, didn't have a lot of answers, and all the questions left me discombobulated. So what I'm sharing with you in this episode today is kind of coming from that season. And that season is the last two years of my life. So a couple years ago, I right before COVID hit, I began the process of a speedy and painful divorce. And when I began that process, you know, like I said, it was right as right before the government shutdown is when the divorce was final. So the last two years have been spent rebuilding, finding my joy in my job again, and asking a lot of questions, asking God a lot of questions about different things. And so I understand what it's like to be overwhelmed by the questions of life. And what I would like to share with you today is simply this. Now, if you don't hear anything else, hear this. God is not afraid of your questions and the questions that you may have aren't bad. (laughs) It's not bad to ask questions. Actually, it's kind of a healthy thing. And I hope that by the end of this episode, as we dive into a few verses and look at two different examples of people groups or people that asked Jesus questions, and we look at Jesus's response to them, that we are encouraged of how God will respond to us, but then we're also encouraged of how we can respond to ourselves and other people. Here's where we're starting. So we're going to look at two different groups of people, and particularly a person that asks questions of Jesus. They either ask him questions about himself or about something he did, And Jesus' response to them says a lot, and the people groups themselves say a lot. So the first group that we're going to look at are the Pharisees. Now, 
And if you've listened to previous episodes, you've probably heard me talk about the Pharisees, but here is a basic rundown. The Pharisees in Jesus's day were kind of like the religious leaders. They might be what we would call modern day pastors, people who are leadership in the churches that are teaching the Bible to people. They are not only teaching the Bible, but they're teaching the laws of God to people. The Pharisees, however, took the Ten Commandments and they took all the laws and they even added things to them and created this very steep mountain climb to God for people. And by that, I mean, they were teaching you that if you do all these things and you wash your hands just right and you eat the right foods and you pray so many times a day, you will make it to heaven. And if you know anything about Jesus, then you know that Jesus taught the opposite of that and pushed against that in the culture. We're going to just look at a few examples of the encounter that the Pharisees had with Jesus. And remember, the theme is really questions. And so we're going to look at the Pharisees, what they asked him and how Jesus responded. So the first place we're going to start is in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 22. We're just going to look at verses 15 to 22. Now I have a lot of scripture references here um, on the page in front of me. I'm not going to read all of it. I'm mainly going to skim and get to the point, but I do encourage you to jot down these scripture references and to go and read them for yourself. Because honestly, I would kind of even prefer that for you to read the these passages in their entirety on your own. So hopefully God can use them in your life as he did mine. So Matthew 22, the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap him, Jesus, in what he said. And they sent their disciples to Jesus saying, teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth and do not care what anyone thinks for you are not partial to anyone. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it okay to pay a tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their malice and said, why are you testing me, you hypocrites? <laughs> okay, so if we were to read that and leave it there and leave it on its own, we might be like, all right, Jesus, like, Jesus is supposed to be kind and loving and love all people. And he kind of answers a question with a question. And it even sounds a little snappy <laughs> to us. But let's focus on the, the writer has specifically pointed out the motives of the Pharisees here. And the motives of the Pharisees are they are trying to trap Jesus in what he says. So they're sending people to Jesus, asking him questions that they perceive to be tricky. And they're trying to catch him in something so they can arrest him. And this is a common theme throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. This is a common theme as you read about the life of Jesus, that you see the Pharisees are consistently trying to trap Jesus in something he says. They're trying to find a reason to accuse him so they can arrest him because they don't like this guy because he's teaching the opposite of what they teach. And Jesus is kind of taking over their status in in the world and in the city that they're in, and they're not a big fan of it. So they're trying to find a way to get him out of the picture. That is the Pharisees motive. Now let's move on to another passage. Mark chapter 10, verse two. And some Pharisees came up to Jesus, testing him and began questioning him. Okay. I'm not going to read the entire verse out of context, but that portion of that verse 
is another statement to the Pharisees' attitude toward Jesus. They are asking him questions to test him. The writers and and the Holy Spirit through these men who are writing are revealing to us the Pharisees' intention. Keep that in mind. As they're asking questions, this is their heart toward Jesus. Now, there are a lot more instances we can go through. We got a few more in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 5, verse 30. Here we go. Uh, Luke 5.30 says, The Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling to Jesus' disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and so-called sinners? (laughs) Now, again, this is another statement about their heart attitude toward Jesus. They found Jesus in the house of a tax collector and sinner. And instead of their their focus is on Jesus' behavior and the optics. Why, Why does he do this? Why do you do this, disciples? And they were grumbling against Jesus. Luke chapter 6, verse 7, I believe. Yeah, verse 7. Now the scribes and the Pharisees were watching him, Jesus, closely to see if he healed somebody on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. I feel like I'm beating a dead horse here, but this is the point. The Pharisees' heart attitude toward Jesus and their intention and their perspective of him was purely to ask questions, to accuse him of something and to catch him in something. Okay. So there are a lot more instances I could go through, but that I feel like that kind of gets the point across for us. So the Pharisees is the one group and their heart intention to asking questions in Jesus is to accuse him, to arrest him, to get rid of him, to move their agenda forward. Somebody else to look at is a particular person. We're not going to look at a group of people, a particular person in scripture that he gets a bad rap. (laughs) He's not mentioned often in the Bible, but he gets a whole passage to himself. And this guy's name is Thomas. And if you have ever, if you've been in church very much, you probably know him as Doubting Thomas. Oftentimes when pastors or, or anyone, they look at these verses and they begin to preach a sermon from them, they they immediately kind of go to this place of, well, let's not be, here's an example of how not to be. Let's not be like Thomas and and doubt God and, and have all these questions. And, and yet I would like to give us a different perspective on this passage in light of the overall theme of this episode of simply that questions are not scary. They're not bad. And it's not wrong to have them. And it's not wrong to have questions about Jesus. John chapter 20. This is after Jesus has risen and some of the disciples have seen Jesus, have seen the risen Jesus. And they come back to Thomas. Now, Thomas was one of the disciples that was not there. He was not present when Jesus made himself known. So when Thomas hears about them saying they've seen God, they've seen the Lord, they've seen Jesus, who he knows to have died, his response is this in verse 25 of John chapter 20. Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Wow. Thomas is a guy who he has been part of the 12. He has walked with Jesus and the others. He has seen the things that we've, the miracles that we've talked about that the Pharisees saw. Thomas was around for some of those too. I'm willing to bet. Thomas witnessed Jesus walking on water 
filling nets with fish, multiplying money and multiplying fish and loaves to thousands of people. Thomas had seen so many things. He had heard so many of Jesus' teachings. And I'm willing to bet that Thomas was one of those guys that one of those guys I kind of relate to who along the way is asking questions for clarification, wanting to know kind of what's going on, wanting to go beyond surface level. (laughs) Thomas from this encounter seems like the kind of guy who is initially suspicious and just needs that next level to strengthen his faith. And in this instance, he is no different. He is characteristically um, himself. And as he has walked with Jesus and seen this, I imagine that watching someone you love and follow that closely dying is tragic and it's traumatic. And Thomas had not yet seen him risen and the other disciples, some of them had. And of course, he had doubts. Eight days later, his disciples, they were all again inside this same room, and Thomas was there. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be to you. Then he said to Thomas, Place your finger here and see my hands. Take your hand and put it into my side, and do not continue in disbelief, but be a believer. That's incredible. Think about how Jesus responded to the Pharisees for a minute here. When they would ask questions, he would respond with more questions, sometimes even calling them hypocrites, telling them you're really just filled with greed on the inside, revealing to them the intentions of their heart, revealing to them who they are on the inside. Jesus' response to Thomas is no different. He is revealing to Thomas what is going on in his heart. He's revealing to Thomas that he is experiencing some disbelief here. That although he's walked with him this long, he is, he's experiencing this disbelief and Jesus challenges him to not continue in that way, but to be a believer. But the difference here is just from how it reads and from what we know of Jesus. This is my interpretation of this, but I can't imagine that Jesus said those words to Thomas in anger. The way that I pictured in my head is Jesus lavishly and vividly appears in this room and then he stoops down and he walks over to Thomas and he just he just takes him by the shoulders or reaches out to him and he says, Thomas, place your finger here. See my hands. Take your hand and put it into my side. Do not continue in disbelief, but be a believer. I just imagine the tone of Jesus being one of love and challenging and a little bit of disciplining, but love, love, love. So Jesus doesn't say, you know, oh, Thomas, it's okay that you that you felt that way. It's all right. Here's some evidence. No, Jesus says, here's the evidence, but here's the challenge. Thomas, you are experiencing some disbelief. Don't continue in this way. Here's the evidence. And he gave it to him lovingly and willingly. The Pharisees had a heart of trickery <laughs> toward Jesus. They had a heart of anger and accusation. Thomas wanted to believe, but he had some disbelief in his heart, and Jesus addressed that. The reason that Jesus seems to respond differently has nothing to do with the fact that they're experiencing doubt or questions or they're questioning Jesus, but has everything to do with the intentions of their hearts, with the why, (laughs) why they're asking the questions. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open." to you. What does that mean for us? Let's be honest here. We all have questions. Our human minds cannot begin to contain the goodness and the knowledge of God. But whatever age we are, whatever stage of life we're in, none of us know it all. 
And we all have at least one lingering question we'd like to ask Jesus. So how do we respond to our own questions? How do we respond to the questions of other people? Scripture also gives us some guidance as to how to approach this and how to how to treat other people. And it's verses that we've some we've probably heard a thousand times and some we need this reminder. So let's start with reading a few of these. I'm going to read a few verses out of Ephesians chapter 4. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but if there is any good word for encouragement according to the need of the moment, say it, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve or resist or cage the Holy Spirit of God. All bitterness, wrath, anger, and slander must be removed from you. Be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Be imitators of God as children and walk in love. Now going over to Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility, consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Mm, That convicts me even as I read it sitting here. Colossians chapter 3. So, as those who have been chosen of God, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also you do it. So how do we respond and approach these questions? Jesus approached Thomas this way. He approached him with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Oh, the patience of God for our questions. Jesus puts that on display in his interaction with Thomas. He even puts that on display in his reaction to the Pharisees' questions a lot of the time. Jesus had all the reason in the world and in heaven to boast, and he didn't. Even when we ask him questions that maybe the Bible answers a million times over, or even silly questions, like when we get to heaven, will there be pizza? (laughs) Jesus bears with us in those questions. But Jesus also bears with us in the very serious questions. Did I make the right decision when I left my ex-husband? Did I make the right choice when I changed jobs? God, how am I supposed to continue living life at peace with myself and others as a divorced Christian woman? These are questions that linger in my mind, and I'm sure you have similar questions for your own circumstance. And I just encourage you that as you're walking through this life, as you hear these stories of the Pharisees and Thomas, I just encourage you to come to God with the heart of Thomas and not the heart of the Pharisees. Come to God with a heart that longs to truly know and be in relationship with Jesus, not a heart that wants to just find all the contradictions in the Bible about Jesus. For the end of this episode, I have nothing to leave you with except ask, seek, knock, and God will provide the answers you need in the moment that you need them. Thank you for listening. I truly hope you were able to find a nugget of encouragement or wisdom for your life today. I would love to hear what God is teaching you. You can connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, or the website. Don't forget, 
share what you learned today with someone you know. And also be encouraged. You're not alone on this crazy, curvy, and sometimes bumpy road I like to call real life.